0: Saturday, May the 7th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up Apprehension in Ukraine and Sinn Fein's projected win in Northern Ireland. First, the week in brief. Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president said that any peace deal with Russia would require Russian forces to pull back to their pre-invasion positions. He said he was elected to be, quote, president of Ukraine, not as president of a mini-Ukraine of some kind. Earlier, leaders across the country warned residents of the threat of increased missile strikes ahead of Monday, when Russians celebrate their role in defeating Nazi Germany. In cities, patrols were increased and citizens reminded not to gather in large groups. Efforts to evacuate civilians from the Azovstal steelworks in Mariupol resumed on Friday, after fighting between Russian and Ukrainian troops at the plant on Thursday. Azovstal is the only remaining Ukrainian-held territory in the besieged city, with some 200 civilians trapped there. Meanwhile, Ukrainian forces went on the offensive against Russians in the northeast, trying to drive them out of two cities. Employers in America added a robust 428,000 jobs to non farm payrolls in April, and the unemployment rate remained steady at 3.6%. But the share of people working or seeking work dropped by 0.2 percentage points to 62.2% a sign that America's labour shortages will persist. Average hourly wages rose by 5.5% from a year ago. Early election results showed Sinn Féin, the former political wing of the Irish Republican Army, on track to win the most seats in Northern Ireland's governing assembly, a first for a nationalist party. The pro-British Democratic Unionist Party appears to have lost its majority. A Sinn Féin-led government does not put Irish reunification on the immediate agenda, but it has symbolic and practical implications. The DUP leadership has refused to say whether it would participate in government if Sinn Féin wins. Senior members of the Conservative Party blamed Boris Johnson, Britain's Prime Minister, for their party's poor performance in local elections in England, Scotland and Wales. The Tories lost about 400 council seats, including strongholds in London. The opposition Labour Party did well in London, but less so in northern England and the Midlands. The Liberal Democrats performed better than expected. The Tories were under pressure from the Partygate scandal, in which politicians and civil servants broke lockdown rules and a cost-of-living crunch. At least 22 people were killed and more than 60 injured in an explosion that destroyed most of a historic hotel in Havana. The blast appeared to have been caused by a gas tanker parked outside the Saratoga Hotel in Cuba's capital. The hotel had been closed for two years during the pandemic and was due to reopen next week. The UN's Food and Agriculture Organisation reported that nearly 25 million tonnes of grain are stuck in Ukrainian warehouses and warned that this was a factor in rising food prices around the world. The grain is unable to leave the country due to Russia's naval blockade and the deterioration of Ukraine's infrastructure after months of war. Before the war, Ukraine had been the world's fourth largest exporter of corn and the sixth largest wheat exporter. And word of the week. leisure, A portmanteau of business and leisure to describe places that are marketing themselves as destinations for work and play. And now here's today's agenda. Macron 2.0 Beneath the chandeliers at the Elysee Palace, Emmanuel Macron will on Saturday be inaugurated President of France for a second five-year term. On such days, the French are more used to watching one president arrive and another leave, scrutinising their body language for signs of bitterness or magnanimity. The continuity this time will make the inauguration a relatively subdued affair. The transition to Macron 2.0 is unusual, however, in that the president has yet to name a new prime minister to replace Jean Castex. Mr Macron is expected to appoint a fresh face for his second term, who would also take France into legislative elections on June 12th and 19th. Of the various names in circulation, none has been confirmed, and Mr Macron could yet spring a surprise. The shape of the new government, though, will depend on whether the president can hold on to his parliamentary majority. That looks within Mr Macron's grasp, but will involve a tough campaign against a newly united left. Lula stumbles. On Saturday, Luís Inácio Lula de Silva, universally known as Lula, will confirm what everybody has known for ages, that he will again run for president of Brazil in an election due in October. But Lula, who served two terms between 2003 and 2011, is in trouble. He has made several gaffes. His proposal to legalise abortion, for example, dismayed evangelical voters. His polling lead over Jair Bolsonaro, the populist incumbent, is shrinking. Lula is also stirring controversy abroad. He has said that the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, is, quote, as responsible as Vladimir Putin, his Russian counterpart, for the war in his country. President Joe Biden, Lula added, quote, incited the invasion. Such comments are not unusual in Brazil, where neutrality has long been the cornerstone of foreign policy. Many in Lula's leftist workers' party still view the West with suspicion. But if Lula does manage to get elected, those first phone calls will be frosty. The collapse of Tory London London was once as Tory as the rest of Britain, with voting behaviour that mostly tracked the rest of the country. At their height in 1968, the Conservatives controlled 28 of the city's 32 boroughs, but no longer. Early results from local government elections on Thursday suggest the Conservatives may be reduced to control of just five of the capital's boroughs. Their losses include Wandsworth, once a darling of Margaret Thatcher, and Barnet, which has a large Jewish population. Keir Starmer, Labour's leader, said his party's victory there, showed that Labour was undoing the reputation for anti-Semitism it had earned under Jeremy Corbyn, his predecessor. Brexit also played a role. These boroughs voted heavily to remain in the EU in 2016. Labour's performance was weaker in northern England and the Midlands. That suggests the Conservatives may have survived Partygate and the cost of living crunch, and that they may hang on to Downing Street, if little else, in London. A Bauhaus designer gets his due. The Bauhaus, Walter Gropius's revolutionary art school, lasted only 14 years before the Nazis shut it down in 1933, deriding it as a hotbed of, quote, cultural Bolshevism. Yet in that brief window, it drew hundreds of artists and designers dedicated to creating Gesamtkunstwerk, total works of art. Among them, there were luminaries of the time, such as Paul Klee and Vasily Kandinsky, and others whose reputation grew later, including Annie and Joseph Olbers, Marcel Breuer, and Ludwig Weismanderow. On Saturday, the Kunzgerber Museum in Berlin opens an exhibition featuring a little-known Bauhaus designer named Erich Dieckmann. He adhered to the school's guiding principle Form follows function, and designs striking, boundary-pushing furniture that could be mass-produced cheaply. Curved, tubular steel chairs and wicker garden lounges were his speciality. In around 1930, Dieckmann designed a range of modular pieces that could fill an entire home, years before anyone had heard of Ikea. Weekend Profile John Lee, Hong Kong's next leader. Most politicians are in love with the sound of their own voice. They also feel the need to trumpet big ideas. But John Lee, who will be the sole name on the ballot when Hong Kong elects its new chief executive on May 8th, is light on both rhetoric and vision. On important subjects, such as how to balance the territory's economic well-being against its battle with COVID-19, or how to reduce Hong Kong's chronic inequality, he seems willfully vague. Such flimflammery matters little. Although the territory's leader is voted in by a supposedly representative election committee, in truth Mr Lee had only to impress a single, secretive constituent, China's Communist Party. Above all, the CCP wants to ensure that Hong Kong does not return to the feisty days of the previous decade when millions of people took to the streets demanding greater democracy, and when there was a political opposition worthy of the name. In Mr Lee, the party thinks it has its man. A working-class Catholic boy from the rugged Sham Shui Po district, Mr Lee says he was bullied by the neighbourhood toughs growing up. Perhaps this is why he has spent his adult life as a government enforcer. First as a policeman, later a secretary for security in the government of Carrie Lam, the outgoing chief executive. It was there that Mr. Lee won his spurs in the party's eyes, leading the police's iron-fisted response to Hong Kong's pro-democracy protests in 2019. For the past year, he has been Mrs. Lam's second-in-command. Most pleasingly for his Beijing overseers, the 64-year-old is an unswerving advocate of the national security law, that the mainland imposed on Hong Kong after the unrest. It effectively ended free speech and extinguished even small acts of opposition. Indeed, one of Mr. Lee's few concrete policy suggestions is finally to enact Article 23, Hong Kong's own long proposed version of that law. Mr. Lee likes to present an inscrutable face, he rarely speaks of his upbringing or family but the bigwigs in Beijing apparently see him as an antidote to the weakness of Mrs Lam, who too often seem to flinch in the face of popular opinion. In the Communist Party's view, if not that of repressed locals, Hong Kong will be in good hands. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Marilu Cristobal, Montilupe City, Philippines, North America, Katie King, Vancouver, Canada, Central and South America, Alistair Cadden, Santiago, Chile, Europe, Laura Sedman, Vienna, Austria, Africa, Rob Blair, Harare, Zimbabwe, Oceania, John Lumsden, Wellington, New Zealand, They all gave the correct answers of Salisbury Steak, the Calcutta Cup, Miss Saigon, the Batavian Republic and Madras. The theme is cities that have changed their names. Salisbury, Harare, Calcutta, Kolkata, Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, Batavia, Jakarta and Madras, Chennai. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Rabindranath Tagore, who was born on this day in 1861. You can't cross the sea merely by standing and staring at the water. That's it from The Economist morning briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.